0: From the heart of the forest city, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Needles.
1: It is the Craig Needles podcast. It is the Friday Roundtable here at Classic ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. Wherever it is you get your podcast, you can find us there, too. And we are joined here in studio by City of London's Deputy Mayor, Sean Lewis, former Green Party candidate Carol is here, as is former City Councilor Hollywood, Cheryl Miller. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello.
2: I hope the guy who called me the old voice... I'm um, tired. I'm I'm not tired. I had a good night's sleep. No, you
3: look wide awake, <laughs> bright-eyed, and you. bushy-tailed. Was yeah. there someone to put on? Your is foot up somebody's on the backside? backside. <laughs> on
1: Cheryl, Cheryl's always ready to put her foot up somebody's backside. That doesn't change. Uh, yeah, I've noticed that uh, a lot of people on the internet can can and should be ignored. Uh, that's my that's my thought process, at least. Especially on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know who shouldn't be ignored is uh, is Doctor Jeff Preston. Exactly. And you know who I wouldn't want to mess with if I was running a service in the city of London is Dr. Preston, because that guy is smart and that guy knows what you're doing wrong and that guy is not going to let up on you. And I think that the folks at LTC are feeling the heat from Dr. Preston and a few other folks. Jeff Preston was on this podcast on Wednesday and he was explaining that uh, he is of the belief that the uh, London Transit Commission is not AODA compliant and he brought receipts. Uh, he has shown different sections of the act, which I think is I don't think that Jeff was stretching too hard, if you look at the, the letter he wrote and the, the, the sections of the Acts that he, that, he, that he pointed out here. That being the case... Jeff and I talked a little bit about bringing London Transit Commission in-house and having that be something that's run by the city directly and therefore drivers are and whatnot are paid by the city. And instead of having the Transit Commission, the board is London City Councilors. Cheryl, you've talked about that before. I'm not sure if you had a chance to hear my conversation with Jeff, but he and I did talk about that, and I mentioned you in there. Uh, do you think it is time to do this? And is what Jeff's saying kind of a reason to underscore that?
2: Well, in spite of Jeff, I love Jeff to death. It, we should have done it a long time ago yes um you, you can't keep looking back and saying you know when we talked about that we didn't do it because there was always a feeling that you've got to separate things to run it better that the city can't run anything and that's not true anymore and i think when you're wanting accountability it's kind of nice to have elected officials sit on a board that provides transportation to the whole city and Jeff is right, and I think he's pushing all the right buttons, and nobody's doing anything about it. They're sort of, they they they're like the ostrich. They've got to get their heads out of the sand to be aware that he has an issue. And when he has an issue, we all have an issue. And I loved what line he said: "If we can't um, provide good service to them, what the hell are we doing with the rest of the city?" Yeah. Right, it's indicative of the kind of transportation we have in the city. So yeah, bring it in house, absolutely.
1: Sean,
3: uh, I'm all for investigating bringing it in house. I've been on the record uh, mm-hmm. two two election campaigns now about being willing to look at that option. Uh, you know, we're going to be getting a request, I understand, from the transit commission to increase their uh, board uh, complement. Um, it's currently five right it's currently five uh, they want to add a seat for somebody who is uh, a paratransit user or a family member of a paratransit u- user somebody with some lived experience with paratransit which I'm supportive of doing but guess what that means we're gonna have to open up their bylaw no so if we're gonna change the bylaw on the commission size because the bylaw says very clearly in black and white five members right first of all I'm gonna want seven because I
1: We don't need need tie votes blocking
3: things all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to want to take a look at other parts of that bylaw while we're at it, maybe including treating the appointment of the general manager of the Transit Commission um, the same way we treat deputy city managers. It's an appointment made by council by bylaw, not something that's that's done through uh, an outside agency so that there is direct accountability by the general manager of London Transit to city council, full stop you answered us you don't answer to your board your board is there to pro- provide that day-to-day uh, operational input guidance um, suggest ideas but at the end of the day you report to council um, that's an uh, option that we can look at in the fairly short term doing a, a longer term bringing them in-house what I will say is this we have to take a look we would have to have a a service delivery audit done. Um, And we'd have to look at where there are going to be costs and where there are going to be efficiencies saved because there's going to be both. Yes. Right? Like you you talked about um, uh, being paid by the city. Guess what we don't need to do? We don't need to hire any more city staff to add the transit drivers and the mechanics pool to our payroll system. Mostly, the computers take care of that anyway. So adding a few hundred more employees into the system, that's savings because we don't need a separate payroll department. Exactly. I
1: remember Steve Holland saying he thinks it's a great idea. <laughs> uh,
3: I'm sure QP101 would love some more members. Yeah. I think that the membership, though, may still want to retain ATU. ATU yeah, I would agree. Uh, affiliation.
1: I, I, I
3: think Steve said that too. But um, yeah. uh, You know, another area, uh, planning. So right now, the city actually has no direct say on where bus stops go, where bus mm-hmm. bays go. Um, but boy, if LTC was uh, a service provided in house as a London uh, transit service, um, then guess who gets a direct say on that? Our roads and transportation department.
2: And, and planning. That's, i mean it's got to. there's got to be a combination so start it, if you can investigate i don't disagree with it do it start it now because yep. it should be in place for next election yeah. it's really well do. it's
1: something you can't turn on and off like a light switch it's it, it takes a couple of yeah. years in order to, to get it done but i i think it is worth exploring on a on a few different levels we,
3: can, and you know i would say this to the union members we're still going to need the same number of yeah no one's saying we Um, in
1: fact if anything we need more bus drivers (laughs) in in terms
3: of mechanics um, guess what you're actually gonna have a bigger fleet pool potentially to work on Mm -hmm. because we might be able to have you also work on our snow plows have you work on you know Mm -hmm. our dump trucks have you work on our our standard road vehicles so for the mechanics um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna need all of you too yeah we're gonna Um, and we might actually train you to do some different jobs at the same time um, where we're not going to need uh, is duplicate layers of legal, planning, uh, mm-hmm. HR, administration. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where we could see some potential savings in addition to the benefit of the direct accountability
1: to elected yes, officials. Absolutely, uh, Carol, I look at it and I see, okay, right now LTC is not AODA compliant, according to Jeff Preston, according to Jacqueline Madden, according to Wendy Lau. Um, I... I think they're right about that. So maybe some changes needed here. What do you think of how we could go about making that change?
0: Well, first of all, I do think they need to go forward with an audit. I actually have a friend who is dependent on paratransit and is frequently posting about the struggles that they have, not being able to go to doctor's appointments, spending hours on the phone trying to book appointments, having them canceled at the last minute. Clearly, we're failing a lot of the uh, citizens. And so, I mean, I'm in agreement with both Cheryl and um, with Sean that we have to bring it in-house i think that is way better for both transparency and also for accountability because at this point one of the comments that dr Preston made was that there is a transparency issue if they're not even putting out their reports so if it is something that the city council is dealing with through a committee then there's going to be a lot more uh, transparency on what's happening how we can start improving the aoda because um, mm-hmm. clearly There is a problem, and it's continuing year after year after year, and people are being left behind, and they shouldn't be. That's what the AODA is for.
3: And let's not forget that those AODA compliance issues aren't... Even some of them aren't even the real problem that yeah. that transit, paratransit users are facing. Yes, those should be addressed, but there's a whole whack of other problems uh, that the AODA isn't uh, speaking to that need to be addressed for paratransit service as well. So, I like paratransit is the poster child right now for what a mess our mm-hmm. transit system is, and and frankly, this is one of my challenges with uh, having an agency that's arm's length, as LTC is right now. Well, they subcontract out the paratransit service
2: yeah mm-hmm.
3: so not only they are are they arms length from us but paratransit is two arms lengths yeah. from yeah. city council yeah. so it's even layers. harder for us to respond to the needs of the residents in the city who need specialized transit now i will also say uh, we've got 310 or so uh regular service transit buses in the city um those are all capable and, and provide now uh, accessibility for people in wheelchairs. Now, it's not going to meet everybody's needs. There are still going to be paratransit riders who are going to need specialized service. Um, but we have to make it easier for people with mobility challenges just to access either one of those options. Um, being able to pay with a smart card, being able to book if you need a specialized ride online online. God, it's the 21st century.
2: Cannot, Why are we, we even talking
1: my, about I that? I cannot wrap my head around the fact that you cannot book a paratransit ride on the website. Yeah. I just I cannot wrap my head around that. And it's
2: head. hard because council members only hear from their constituents about the, what the problems they're experiencing. And and you, you go, well, um, let me look into it. You call the LTC, and they kind of string you along. You don't get the answers. So the problem is is you can't address an issue because you're not part of solving it and council should become part of solving it.
0: And there needs to be some accountability also on how they're spending money. We had an issue in our neighborhood where there was a huge waste of tax money um, that was putting in these the pads for uh, wheelchairs. But the locations that were picked, clearly someone looked at a map and didn't pay attention to the topography. They put something in that didn't make any sense. It ended up having to be completely filled in. And then they changed the bus route anyways. So the, these concrete pads were put in and have never been used. <gasps> what a waste of money. Carol, are
3: you <laughs> suggesting that people <laughs> planning these things should step out into the real world, away from <laughs> yes. their desks and Google Maps? What Look. a great idea.
0: Oh, it was ridiculous. And so these are the kinds of things that drive me mental because it's such a waste of tax money that we could be funneling into services that people actually need.
3: And yeah. I will say, I know on a like a per-ride basis how the city funds London Transit. Uh, we do underfund them compared to how some other municipalities fund transit. I'm not saying that they don't need some more core funding from the city. And they're also going to need some more core funding from the fare box. $3 yeah. a ride is a pretty good deal. Folks, that price is going to have to go up. Um, you know, like that's, honestly, that's tough. if you could I, tell somebody, yeah, it, it's it got to be. Because yeah. at the end of the day, there are two ways things are funded in a city, property taxes and user fees. Right. And the people who are paying property taxes uh, are going to be willing to pay some more property taxes for improve transit i think but they're not going to pay the whole freight the user has to pay their share too and three dollars a ride anywhere in the city right now is a pretty cheap deal it's better than you're going to get from uber it's yep. better that way better than you're going to get from a taxi and, and it's, it's better than you're going to get from and other
1: municipalities in a lot of cases yeah too. and I it's I cheaper
3: that. than what you're going to get by uh having a car uh ownership situation so to say that the riders can't afford a fare increase i just you know at some point they're the users they have to help pay for it too
2: I can go from my house to to Masonville for three bucks that's great cost me more than that for my car my insurance all the mm-hmm. rest of it I mean it'll so also take you
3: three hours <laughs> but it will only be three dollars yeah, but I read. your house to White House might be the better bus ride I,
2: I read on the bus because you can't drive I can't drive my car and read well I try to yeah. <laughs> but, but the
1: sound like Rob ask. Ford over here uh yeah it's it's just the status quo is, is is simply not good enough. And no. I think you're right that if you look at the, the per capita funding, you're going to have some situations where uh, we are below or towards the bottom end of a lot of municipalities in Ontario. Is there a mix, and, and I haven't looked too deep into this, as far as running a transit board goes, is there a mix as far as in-house and arm's length commission as yes. far as the rest of the, the, the rest of municipalities yeah. in the province? Some are inside, some are outside. Yeah. Uh, municipalities, um, small,
3: medium, large, uh, those that have transit systems have a mix. Yeah. Um, you know, and even within those that are run internally, um, in, in terms of the City of London departments, uh, the comparison would be some are run by the neighbourhood services uh, area, which Deputy City Manager Cheryl Smith uh, is the lead on. Some are run by roads and transportation, the engineering department, which Kelly Share is the Deputy City Manager of. So it could even potentially land in a couple of different silos within the city, because there is a mix of how municipalities do it. That's why the audit would be important, too, because it would allow a third-party auditor to do an environmental scan and report back to us on what the realities are in other cities, what's working good and what's not working good, uh, both in terms of external commissions and in terms of internal operations.
2: I'm kind of old-fashioned. Of course, we all know that. Um, But I like the leaders of our city and to live in the city. And I know we can't impose that condition, but I like it.
1: I'm, who?
3: Okay, Kelly, Kelly no. doesn't live in London. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. No. No. Just to be clear, you're talking about Kelly Palashney, not That's Kelly correct.
1: Cher yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I'm not sure where everyone's uh, where everyone's getting their mail, but uh, I think that there is something to hey, if you're going to be you know working you live. and and making not an insignificant amount of money, and, okay. We can and, and you
3: that. have to really think about the time is now to start looking at this because you think about the changes that are coming. Right, we've got rapid transit lines under construction who is providing the rapid transit service is still not finalized Mm -hmm. Um, and we got routes under construction so there's a rapid transit service coming online Uh, the school board is doing a review and i applaud them for doing it and i really want to be a partner with them on this but with the transit commission being external it's that much harder to require i want secondary students off of yellow school buses and giving them transit passes (laughs) the same way we give fanshaw and western students a deal on transit passes we should be doing the same thing with our secondary schools for our school board and get london secondary students on transit so that they can also go to those part-time jobs those after-school clubs or those before school clubs sports whatever um, it is. Yeah. those yeah um, get around on their own without mom and dad having to drive them everywhere after school
2: I actually did that and I when I was on the school board um, Vic Cote was head of the LTC and we bumped heads many many times because I absolutely agree with you part of the issues is we don't teach kids how to take the bus we just teach them how to walk up the steps, sit down, go to school, and come up. Using the LTC is an experience. It's, yeah. it's a, a growth. It's, a, it's just an opportunity to use it. And I'll tell you, my daughter would never take a bus because she was incredibly mm. spoiled. Yeah? Yeah. I drove her everywhere. <laughs> it was completely I mean, Paul, wasn't it? it was just <laughs> <a> <laughs> spoiler ride. No, it was me. <laughs> um, so, like, parents have to l- teach them to take the bus. Yeah. Sean
0: and and I have talked about this before. Like, I'm absolutely for having the high school students off the the yellow buses and out on the buses. It makes such a difference to their lives in their independence, in their confidence. It also sets them up for doing it in adulthood as well, instead of, like, turning their nose up against it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, when we've lived, when we were living in Berlin, the kids are given free passes. All school students get them till they're 19 years old they can take any transportation at any come. time for free and their world just opens up to them but not only that it helps the parents because yep. they are now not having to shuttle their kids all well,
3: over well and place. let's be honest it's not for free no the school board is paying the transit commission yeah. or the city for those passes, yeah. but they are using the cost same money right. that they are using right now to pay a private bus company to drive the kid to and from school yeah. once a day. Instead, they're paying transit to provide the ride anytime the student needs it. That's so yeah. that's that's provincial. a much better deal.
2: It's provincial with. funding, so it would be a better idea from the province, yeah. too. They'd want that. It's cheaper than hiring school buses and guess
3: what we don't have enough school bus drivers either right now and we don't have enough transit bus drivers maybe if we have more kids riding transit and fewer yellow school buses needed maybe we can actually hire enough drivers
1: to run the transit routes just saying yeah, it's de- that's definitely something to pursue and we're, we are just in kind of a, a, a bit of a, a fork in the road in a few different transit issues right now and, and maybe this adds something to it as far as the idea of bringing it in house or whatever it happens well, to be. But I think that at the very least, hey, let's start co- having that conversation. You, you know, and
3: credit yeah. where due, yeah. we've started a new industrial route as of Monday out to the Innovation Park industrial area. And yeah. in September, a new 36A route will start uh, up to the airport area, Robin Hill Lane and, and that neighborhood. But, God, I've been talking about a transit route to Innovation Park for eight bloody years. Mm -hmm. Like, long Mm -hmm. before I was elected, I was talking about the need for Mm -hmm. people to be able to get a bus to work. Um, Eight years to get that route up and running. That's not good enough. Um, I'm glad it's up and running. Um, Part of me really wonders if it was the uh, media story that Bosco and Roxy's was going to lose 60 employees because there was no transit, uh, that finally put the pressure on enough to make the move faster. Because originally, this was going to be a specialized uh, route starting in the fall that you could book a ride on an app, an app they seem to be able to do for a specialized service that isn't transit, <laughs> by the way. Um, But then suddenly it pivoted and now it's become a a conventional route and it's starting Monday. I'm glad it's starting Monday. I'm glad those workers get to keep their jobs. I'm glad that workers at at other uh, manufacturing facilities out there are going to have the option to take transit. Uh, Some of those places are are trying to hire and fill vacancies. Maybe this will allow some of those people who would love the opportunity to have those jobs uh, actually land them because now transportation is not a barrier to them. but we are at a key moment in terms of how transit is going to move forward in this city. Uh, and we don't have to make snap decisions, but we have to start gathering the information to make some smart decisions moving forward.
2: Yeah, I unfortunately have to bark louder than somebody else to get that kind of transportation opportunity. Good on them for doing it. Secondly, the well, reason- Well, good
3: thing that Dr. Preston can bark pretty loud, yeah.
2: <laughs> But also, um, the reason you can't use your smart card on the paratransit is because it's, it's not LTC.
1: Right. Yep. Different service.
2: Big problem. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. and, and that, like, yeah, I, that'd be great to fix, but that's just, it's a tough gig to fix that, though. Uh, but uh, it's got to be better. Like, it just what, what, what they're doing now is just very simply not good enough. And as I said to Jeff, because uh, he just mentions the city service, a lot of people with a disability may not have access to. I asked Jeff if he gets a discount on his property taxes, and he says no. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you're paying property taxes, you should be able to access city services like public transit. You know, call me silly. Uh, let's talk about uh, what times of the day council meets. And that's coming up next week at Civic Works Committee. Uh, are you on Civic Works, on? It's actually coming up at Governance. Oh, working Governance. Uh, uh, yeah, Governance and Worker. I chair that yeah. committee. Yes, so a working you group. <laughs> uh, you are uh, working uh, on that as a group on whether we should be doing council meetings during the day, doing them in the evening. And my take on this has always been no matter what time you say it's going to be, uh, any, any time on the 24-hour clock, there's going to be people who do not like it for whatever reason. So it's a matter of finding the option that is the least bad. Um, you're going to be hearing some people ask you about uh, your thoughts on this, Sean. Which option do you think is the, uh, the best of the group, even though it may not be perfect? Well, look, I'm, I'm the, uh, the, the Machiavellian
3: villain behind the scenes here. I'm sure somebody on Twitter is going to uh, accuse me of being, uh, this is my push. Um, this came first through Corporate Services. We deferred the status quo calendar and sent it to Governance Working Group to look at an alternate model. I am We are a city rapidly approaching half a million people. We are the last of the big cities that treats City Council as a part-time gig off the side of your desk at, at your other job or after you're done work at your other job mm-hmm. uh, coming in and spending hours sitting in a standing committee meeting. It is time we start acting like a big city we are the 10th largest city in Canada. It is time we start having our meetings during the day when our staff are, are free to work on other things and become available as we need to call them down, uh, when we are able to make sure that people are making decisions because they're fresh minds. It's not 14 hours into the day when we're voting on a planning application at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Um, it, it, this is just time. This is one component of some of the changes we need to make around uh how council itself operates and how it's structured and supported but i think it's an important first change uh, because we are and and you said it craig it doesn't matter
2: what There's time no,
3: you yeah. have a meeting it's always going to be somebody's schedule doesn't work for that and they're going to complain about oh, i can't get there because it doesn't fit my schedule uh, but, but it's a had, matter
1: of finding the smallest number yep yeah.
3: But I had the opportunity to ask a few councillors about this at FCM back at the end of May, Federation of Canadian Municipalities, big annual national conference Uh, this year. It was in Toronto. We didn't get to go anywhere fun. Um, But uh, you know what I was hearing from quite a number of these councillors is that they've actually seen, since they went to hybrid models, public participation increase because people can join by Zoom. They can have it running in the background while they're working away during their workday. When it's their turn, they can take their coffee break, give their five-minute delegation to the committee, and then go log off and be back to the rest of their day. They're much more willing to do that than they are to miss their kid's soccer game, to be in the gallery for a planning meeting, or to miss a family dinner, uh, to be uh, at cor- at Community and Protective Services to-, to talk about you know a bylaw change. They'd rather give up. Their coffee break in an afternoon or in the morning, uh, then give up family time in the evening. So there's a huge benefit to the, all of this, including giving our civic administration their lives back in the evening, too. A lot of these folks have kids at home. It'd be nice if we let them, and, and I'm not even talking about the senior leadership team. I'm talking about the IT support people, the clerk staff, the the security staff, all of those people who are there in the evenings who are missing time with their spouse, missing time with their kids because they've got to work. And As
2: long as you make it an optional, because I think it's really important that people... Who feel um, disenfranchised has an opportunity. In, in fact, let me just an aside: the committee of adjustment is now um, on Zoom, and we have had more public participation. We have had more consultants who are located all over Ontario who are working on projects here in London. We've had more interaction on that committee than we had when you had to go downtown. Park the car and come in late, you know, and miss the meeting. So I see it working. And that's crucial. That was the point I was going to make to you. I don't care when you meet as long as the public has an opportunity to participate in the democratic process. Zoom is a game changer. Yeah, it is. It is.
1: Because if you can say, okay, hey, I want to be part of this planning meeting. Uh, but, well, for starters, if you want to be part of the planning meeting, please make sure you have intelligent comments. Secondly, <laughs> uh, I w- but, but I can do this from my own living room or I can do this from my office. I don't really care if the meeting starts at 1 p.m. You know what I mean? Like you, if, if this is important enough, you can find 15 minutes somewhere in your day in order to make this happen. So
2: Plus, yeah, yeah. council doesn't make good decisions after 11. We never <laughs> did. You know, you get stupid. You're tired. You're it's, punch drunk. You know, it's like it's nothing good bad.
1: happens after 2 a.m. Only, you know. Uh, right yeah. rate right, right, right the clock back in a little
2: bit yeah, I remember that when I was yeah. younger, but yeah. uh
0: so I basically, Sean said everything that I wanted to say. It's the same thing I wanted to say about the Zoom as well. As long as you have that option, then yeah. people can participate. And that's the main yeah. thing. And honestly, by 11 o'clock, if people are still there, you're just starting to make decisions just so the meeting can end. Yeah. Anytime I've been in meetings that go on and go on, you can tell people just are like edgy. They get, they're they going to get crankier with each other. And it's just like, all right, let's just get this done. And you might not be making the best decisions, So let's do it when people are fresh and able mm. to really think things through. <laughs> I, I, I talked to Councillor
1: Pelosi about this on this podcast, I think, or it might have been uh, might have been just before things went bad the other place. Either way, I know I've talked to her about this in some sort of public forum, and uh, she said she's just sick of getting home at, you know, 11.30, 12, 12.30, whenever it happens to be. It's a school night. or kids have long been in bed? Like, like I understand why, you know, from a, an elected official perspective, that's not great either. I get that people want to have, you know, a, a council and something else as a gig. I understand that. But I'm uh, I'm pretty sympathetic to the argument of I'd like to still be able to see my kids, uh, even despite the fact that uh, I'm a member of London City Council. It's very, mm-hmm. very
2: hard for women. Yep, <laughs> mm-hmm. I lived that for 12 years. Yep. Um, I was late all the time at night. Kids were in bed. That was not a good thing. Um, my point, though, is I don't care when you have meetings as long as it's open to the public. I, I mean, that's that's my priority one. My second concern is when the hell are gonna, counselors going to be accountable? What is wrong with having one-on-one meetings? It seems I was, I was caught into, of course, a situation on Twitter where a, a constituent was wanted to talk to his counselor. And the counselor said, well, I don't know if I can figure time. I can't do a Zoom meeting. I can't do this. I can't do that. I remember that you have offices down there. I know you have staff. I know that you can schedule meetings to have in your office. You can actually have Zoom calls in your office. But it seems to me this council, in so many ways, has shut off from their constituents. Not, not all, Sean, <laughs> um, but a lot of them, and the new ones, don't seem to understand that if you're not accountable and you don't spend time addressing your constituents' concerns, whether you like them or not, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is that they're reaching out to you, and you're making all the excuses not to meet with them. They'll feel that uh, in, in the next election, but quite frankly, uh, accountability doesn't seem to be there, and I don't know who's who's the keeper of the herd at city council that's in charge of the council members that are that are dealing with these newer councils who are not bothering well, to spend any they time. All,
1: they all essentially run their own show at some point. Don't they, they, the they very, very much do.
3: Now, we used
2: to have a keeper of the herd. <laughs> I, I,
3: I want to jump in on, on two of the points there, Cheryl. We'll, we'll deal with the accountability and keeper of the herd thing second, but I okay. want to talk about the keeping the doors open for the public. Of course the gallery is still going to be open for people yeah. who want to come uh, and request delegate status whatever time the meeting is at. Um, yes, they are going to be able to join by Zoom. Uh, we are not taking that away uh, and and I think it is a way to increase participation. Even if people are just watching it mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and decide that they don't want to comment, just the fact that they're on that Zoom meeting and and listening to what other people are saying, that's a great form of public participation too but public participation meetings are not the end-all be-all of public engagement and whether people want to submit through the clerk and have an email or a letter formally added to the agenda as a communication whether they want to uh, reach out to their counselor directly and and share their concerns that way um, there's lots of ways in fact public participation meetings are often ridiculous because people stand up in the gallery and they read word for word the email they sent you a week ago mm-hmm. yes. that's on the public agenda that we all already read. So it's actually a waste of everybody's time. Maybe not all of you read it. Read it uh. well, okay, maybe not all of us. But mm-hmm. but there's that other piece you talked about, which is the the accountability to your constituents and and I tell all the counselors, and I new or old, it doesn't matter to me. I you know I don't have a problem stepping on people's toes from time to time, Cheryl. Um You're not an academic, you're not a researcher, um, you're not a day-to-day manager. Our role is governance. Mm. So that requires us to do two things. It requires us to read the reports and be informed. And it requires us to engage with our constituents in one-on-ones, in community forums, however you want to do it, you engage with those folks. I have been doing uh, for a couple weeks now what I've been uh, loosely termed uh, Cycling Saturdays. And I bike around my ward and I stop at three or four houses of people who have reached out and want to talk to me. And I have a chat with them on their front porch or on their back deck. And I'm there for 15 or 20 minutes and it takes a couple hours of my weekend. But if that's what works to get the opportunity to engage. Now, sometimes I can do that on a Friday. Sometimes it's going to be a phone call because that's all I can squeeze in. But your job, one, is to be attentive to your constituents. You don't have to agree with them. They don't have to like the answers you're providing. Exactly. But you need to get back to them. And then the other thing you need to do is stop trying to rewrite the reports that you haven't read. Actually read the reports and work with staff if you want to see some amendments. It's not our job to go out and research what Vienna is doing or what mm-hmm. ten, uh, what Chattanooga, Tennessee <laughs> is doing. or what like That's not our job.
2: I know. And I see it all the time. So...
3: Uh, and, w- and we saw at last council too people bringing in zany ideas from other places um, not that there aren't some good ideas we can learn from other municipalities but that's what we have staff for, that's their job we're governance we're not day to day we're not supposed to be micromanaging no, staff's God, no. job uh-huh. um, so more public engagement and I've said this just as recently as this week at SPPC um, a, a counselor was criticising staff for not having enough uh, public engagement opportunities uh, on a particular issue and I said you know part of that is not staffs fault it's our fault it's our responsibility to go out and engage with our constituents not staffs we're the elected officials at the end of the day mm-hmm. so if you want to say there's not enough public engagement as a member of council that's on you
2: but I preferred meetings with my constituent me with them I didn't need staff. I had all the information, but you, people want it, you to sit down, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, sort it out. Say to them, "I'm listening to you. Let me get back to you." Well, I That's know what they a, care
1: about. A lot of your colleagues do, uh, you know, ward meetings and things on those lines. You come and you have a, a conversation. I know Skylar Frank does uh, walks through the ward and says, "Hey, you want to come have a walk with me? Talk with me, whatever. You know, here's, here's the time. Meet me here." Like I think that I think that stuff like that is is, is good. It, it, the engagement can be different for different counselors, different people, different issues. But it has to yeah. happen. But it has to yeah. occur.
2: But it That's has
1: right. to occur. I want to talk about Greenman's before we wrap up. And there's it's another- Cheryl's fault. Her counsel should have done it 15 years ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> really?
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Greenman's before we wrap up. And that conversation is being held once again because I know you're getting an update on it next month at some point as far as where we're at. Which, you know, it should have been done 15 years ago. It's not. And there were a lot of warnings 15 years ago and 10 years ago and 5 years ago that, hey, if we don't do this now, well, maybe not five years ago. Didn't it come, because when, when it came to your council, when, when it came you were to the holder it, council, approved it. We approved it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, either way, there are a lot of warnings saying, hey, you have to, like, at some point, the province is going to make you do this. Get it done now uh carol it's not quite done yet your thoughts
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i was just talking to somebody last week about this and i said oh yeah but we're gonna get the green bins in the fall and i was like oh yeah maybe like we'll see and then this report comes out and i think yeah okay this is what i think um so the issue is as as we were mentioning before london is the 10th largest city and more people are coming and we're going to be generating a lot of waste and that waste has to go somewhere and we're running out of places so this green bin Thing has to happen and it should have happened 20 years ago I mean honestly the thing is that uh, what we often see is that we're reacting to problems rather than mm-hmm. thinking forward and planning for that issue and then it is so much more difficult to pivot and get things done and we're seeing that with the green bins I've lived, as I said, in multiple cities that have green bins way back 25 years ago they had them, and they were smaller cities than London is. And it's because they knew they have limited space for their waste, and this is such a great way to make sure that we are, you know, dealing, I mean, it's part of the Climate Emergency Action Plan. We have to be reducing our emissions, and one of the ways of doing that is dealing with green bins and not throwing trash that can be used into, um, you know, compost or other, uh, other materials not putting it into our landfills so i mean i don't know i i will be thrilled if it happens in the fall or now as they also said early winter but i don't know well, we'll when w- w-
1: waterloo region <laughs> did this like it was not long after i left and i left waterloo region in 2007
2: but and, i've yeah. been yeah. an active composter not me personally i have the boxes mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> 40 years Yeah. Um, We built our own at the beginning because you couldn't buy anything. I still have four, and I'm still using them all the time. The only thing that I have at my age now getting rid of is, like, the tree limbs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I do use a city pickup um, on that, but that's it. The the problem was that— Don't you have
3: grandsons for that?
2: Yeah, but I also have— Two strong hands. I still want to be <laughs> capable of doing stuff like that. My grandsons come over. I don't. I don't want to cut trees with them. I want to spend my time with them. So um, I, I think what there's been so much information back and forth because the province didn't mandate it, um, and the issue was you know new net, new technology, new technology. What are we going to do um, right now? What's holding us up is the is the trucks. Yep. There just yep. no supply of the trucks because I think, you know, COVID absolutely wiped a number of things out.
3: That's absolutely, we, we would have this up and running now yep. had COVID not yep. completely obliterated the supply chain for these specialized trucks. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, the bins themselves aren't the problem, No, it's the trucks to actually collect them. And you know, I'm like you, Cheryl, I've got two large composters and a rotating one going in my backyard. Uh, it's great because I'm a gardener, That's so right. I get the great, uh, nice, rich soil to put in the garden every spring after the composters have, have done their job. So I'm going to continue doing it at home for the most part. Mm-hmm. There will be things that the Green Bin program takes that I'm not composting in my backyard, so that will be great too, to, to get rid of some of the waste that way. But yeah, Carol's absolutely right. Like, this should have happened 20 years ago. Yeah, um, This should have come out the same time the Blue Box program came out, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and people would be accustomed mm-hmm. to it and working with it fine, just... Oh, we we just delayed, delayed, delayed. And then we had a council that did a pilot project. And then they were like, oh, well, it's really expensive. So let's not go forward. Well, it's only getting more expensive the longer you yep. delay. If we had done this 10 years ago, it would have been half the cost. Well, the
1: 2014 council, I know there was a, a close vote on there. There's a close vote, the 2010 council as well. And that was during the... Uh Tax freeze two yep. years with Fontana, and uh, that I think wound up uh, like a lot of votes with that 2010 council being eight seven. Uh, the 2014 council, I forget what the what the vote breakdown was, but I know that uh, I remember Matt Brown voting against green bins, even though he had voted it for it for the with the previous council, and that was a thing. It was just. Uh, there's been a lot of close calls as far as when this could have happened before and didn't wind up getting approved till the 2018 council. And again, that was a few years late because the provinces had already said, and this was under our previous provincial government, but still, they'd already said, hey, look, you have to have a green bin program. Otherwise, we're not going to let you do any more landfill space. Like, you've got to figure something out here. And they didn't.
2: I, I I go back to, as a citizen, when the City of London was looking at the blue box, and there was also another company who was in competition. And what they would do is they would pick everything up. And they were going to prepare to sort, uh, make energy pellets out of it, but because the provincial government was offering such enticing incentives to municipalities to go with the blue box, which has never been successful, because the the the. the Manufacturers are not part of it. I mean, there they, they was supposed to be a. Well, they also keep
3: changing how we're supposed to sort things. <laughs> like I gotta check the website every week to figure out what I can throw in what box because it's changed yeah. eighteen times I since know, my blue box arrived. It's it's,
2: it's been ridiculous. It's been a failure right from get go. So until we sort of we haven't cleaned that up yet. We don't know where to re- recycle our glass and tins and what what we can do. So like this has been going a long time in London. There's always been an undercurrent of. Um, let's wait and see. Look at
3: mm-hmm. all the things we've tackled so well today. I mean, we want to attract a, a good workforce and get them to jobs, and we want to provide <laughs> mobility to people. Then we got to fix transit. We want to attract good people to council and and run our city like a big city. We got to move to daytime operations, and we want to be more environmentally friendly and start meeting our our greenhouse gas emission targets and our climate emergency action plan. We got to speed up the green
1: bins. I think yep. we've.
2: We've solved it all. We
1: We should be counseled. All right. (laughs)
2: Let's
1: uh, let's wrap up the podcast on that fabulous (laughs) note. Thank you very much to Cheryl, Sean, and Carol for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening, downloading, reviewing, subscribing to The Craig Needles Podcast, which of course can be found at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. And wherever it is, you get your podcasts.
0: The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn
3: Media Podcast Network.